The sun still rose in spite of my strong recommendation against it. Ryan Green wrote these words on August 19th, 2014, recounting an event that took place six months prior, the morning after their four-year battle with cancer came to an end. The cancer in question was not Ryan's or his wife Amy's, it was Joel's, Ryan and Amy's four-year-old son. In a journal entry that Ryan would later share, he recounts the story of Joel's final day, being surrounded by family and friends knit together not only by their love for Joel, but their confidence in Jesus Christ. On that day, they sang songs and hymns of worship to God as well as prayed prayers of thanksgiving for the journey, but also for mercy and healing for Joel. The next morning, March 13th, 2014, at 1.52 a.m., the fight was over. Joel, after four-year battle, lost the fight to that dragon cancer. In the aftermath, Ryan writes, so now we mourn and we weep We rage and we argue with God who knows how the story will end. Where is Jesus? This is the question that Ryan wrestled with all throughout Joel's battle and one that is not far from our cultural consciousness today. Where is Jesus in the middle of riots? Where is Jesus in the midst of fires, floods, and hurricanes? Where is Jesus in injustice and the senseless slaughter of humanity from Las Vegas to London to Syria? Where is Jesus? And while some might ask this question as an indictment of the character of God, it is a legitimate question and one that needs an answer given for it. And when I say an answer, I don't mean something trite. Our world needs something more than bumper sticker Christianity. It needs us as his church to be his representative in this world, to be the living embodiment of the hope that we have in him. It would be really dishonest and a bit arrogant this morning to say that we always have the right answers and that we always know what God is up to in the midst of tragedy. But it would also be unfair to blame him for all of it too. And so this morning, we're gonna be doing a a bit of an overview of of a couple of points, some things that we know, some situations that, uh, that Jesus found himself in. And we're going to be looking at this question of where is Jesus to give us perspective in the midst of chaos. If you've been following along with the God's Top 10 series, this is not one of those messages in the series. Uh, We're taking a little bit of a sidebar from that this week. But let's start with point number one, what we know to be true. And and with this, I want us to lay a bit of a foundation for our conversation because the reality is that we can never truly 
and fully understand the reasons behind circumstances or the circumstances around us. I, I, I don't necessarily prescribe to the everything happens for a reason sort of mindset, but I do believe that God can use every circumstance. So these statements that I'm gonna give, give here this morning are, are, are things that can kinda help give us perspective in, in answering this question. So what do we know? We know that letter A, our world is broken. Our world is broken. Our world is sin sick, and we're not the only ones suffering for it. You see, humanity's decision to break relationship with God in the garden put the authority over creation into the hands of sin, and as a result, the natural order of creation rages in its disorder. Paul writes in Romans 8 verses uh, 20 through 22, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the very present time. You see, creation itself longs for God's redemption, but in the meantime, we endure all kinds of sickness and disease and devastation and maladies. We get old, we break down, and these are all part of that brokenness of the world that we live in. And one of the things that, that, that we find it very easy to do sometimes is, is rationalize things like disasters and, and, and stuff like that and say, well, you know, that's just God's wrath on us. Listen, sometimes God does use things like storms and, and, and sickness and stuff like that, but we, we need to be very, very careful to not prescribe all of that or not blame him for all those things when humanity is the one in the first place that made the decision to, to separate ourselves from God. It's kind of like this. It's like if you remove a piece of fruit from a tree and set it next to the tree, for a little while, the, the fruit is going to look okay. It's going to be fine. But it's disconnected from its life-giving source. And it will rot, and it will decay, and it will perish. Our world is sin-sick. Our world is broken and subject to decay. And this is what happens when you separate the created from the giver of all life. That's why, sin's a, a serious, that's why sin is serious business. Because it separates us. It breaks our relationship between us and God. If he is the giver of every good and perfect thing, if he's the giver of an author of life, why would we, why would we want to separate ourselves out from that? But that's another sermon all in and of itself. But because we have hope, that we, our world is broken, but we do have hope within that brokenness that letter B, the character of Jesus is unchanging. The character of Jesus is unchanging. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We can take hope that the character of God is unswerving. He is our constant. No matter whatever, whether we veer left or right, he is constant. 
He is unchanging. And this is a really, really important piece of information because there are a lot of things that rise and fall on this. If God is not immutable, if his character is not immutable, if his character is, is, uh, is not unchanging, if his character does change, how can we have confidence in him? But his character is unchanging. He's proven that time and time and time again. And these next two pieces of information really are, are, are kind of, they, they kind of depend on this foundation. Letter C, God redeems tragedy for blessing. It was a December morning when I received the call my friend Derek had been traveling home from Christmas break when his car slid on a patch of black ice. The car left the road and a large tree branch shattered Derek's window and a third of his skull. As he lay in a hospital bed in a coma, his doctors broke the news to his mother that Derek would never wake up. And if he did, he'd never talk again. And even if he could talk, he would be paralyzed. He would never go back to school, never get married, never achieve his dreams. They told her that she should get used to seeing her son in the state. Well, this was devastating news, but it was not the end. You see, Derek was the type of guy that if you told him not to do a thing or you told him that he couldn't do a thing, what did he do? the thing, God healed Derek. And while he still bears the scars and some of the limitations from the accidents, we could never get him to slow down or shut up. Today, Derek is married with a gaggle of kids. He pastors a church in New Brunswick and he traveled, he's traveled all around the US and Canada sharing his story of how God has redeemed that tragedy for blessing. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph, who is sold out by his brothers into slavery, says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended good to be accomplished. Or he intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The tragedies that we go through can sometimes be a balm to other people. The other confidence that we can take, the other thing that we know is letter D, that God doesn't ditch his kids. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God is not a deadbeat dad. He's not distant from his creation. We just celebrated communion this morning, the, the, the celebration of God caring so much for his creation that he would send his son into the midst of it, not just to live, but to suffer and die for our sin. For our redemption. And so if all of this is true, it gives us a bit of a framework for answering the question. And these, question, these answers don't really change the circumstances, but they do give us some perspective. But we still need to answer that question of where is Jesus? If he doesn't ditch us, 
if he can redeem tragedy for blessing, if he is unchanging, where is he in the midst of the mess? So we're going to be looking at number two, this question, where is Jesus? And in order to answer this, we're going to fly through five stories in the Gospels where Jesus isn't where the other people of the stories think, think that he should be. And because of the time constraint that we have, I would, love, I would love to preach an entire series on this because I think that these, these stories are fascinating. But we're gonna get, I'm going to give you about a 15,000 foot view. I've, I've given you the scriptures in your outline here. Uh, if, if you miss anyone, any of them, please see me. I will gladly give them to you so you can take a look at them uh, later. But, uh, but uh, we're going we're gonna to take a look at a couple of these different cases of, of, of places where Jesus was missing from the place that he was supposed to be. So letter A, we have the case of the runaway child found in Luke chapter two, verses 41 through 52. Now Mary and Joseph, and then 12-year-old Jesus, had gone up to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of the Passover. And since it was safer to travel in groups, after the celebrations were over, Mary and Joseph left Jerusalem, and they thought that Jesus maybe had made some friends with someone else in the caravan. But after a day of travel, they discovered that teenage Jesus was not where he was supposed to be. Frantically, they searched for him, which ultimately led them to Jerusalem. Now, how many of you have ever been parents that have tried to, to look for a lost child? You've got a couple of you guys who have who've tried to you know, look for a child, and what are the things that have gone through your mind? Like, like, oh my word, I hope they're okay, and I'm gonna kill them once I find them. If somebody else doesn't get to, to it first, there was a, I don't know if you, I don't know if you all remember this, in the, in the uh, early 80s, there was a movie that, there was like a made-for-TV movie that came out about the reason why we have Code Adam, and it was like right after my mom saw that, I was, we were in this department store, and I thought I was going to be funny, and I hid, in, I hid in the middle of this clothes rack, and then like I hear my mother, who I've shared with you before, you know, loud Italian you know, woman, uh, love her dearly, but she is just wailing and weeping and I'm hearing this vacillation between like, my baby is gone to I am gonna kill him when I find him. <laughs> Can you imagine like Mary and Joseph in this situation? I mean, they are entrusted with the son of God. What's going through their head at that moment? I don't, I don't want to speculate too much, but like, can you imagine being Joseph at that moment? Like, okay, I need to teach the boy a lesson not to run off from his mother and I, but if I take him over my knee, is something going to happen? Like, are angels going to protect him from that? I don't want to speculate too much on that, but it, that's just kind of how my mind works when I read stuff like this. But after all of those swirling emotions, they found him sitting among the teachers listening and, answer, and asking questions. And exasperated, Mary says, why have you treated me like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus' response at the temple was I must be about my father's house. Or some footnotes have, I must be about my father's business. Then there's the case of letter B, the absent friend found in John 11. Jesus states very, or John states very clearly that Jesus had a very special relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
But when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he essentially said, ah, he'll be fine. Okay, what he really said was, this sickness will not end in death. And so he waits. And after a couple of days, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to catch up with the family. Meanwhile, Lazarus has been dead for four days. When Mary and Martha heard that Jesus was on his way, he was two miles out and Martha runs up to him with the, with the question of where were you burning on the minds of every onlooker? But Martha's response was, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary says the exact same thing once he gets closer. And yet as you keep reading in the story, it says in the, first, in, the, in the shortest verse in all of scripture, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus, one who had worked miracles, one who had healed the sick, one who I'm pretty sure probably knew what he was going to do then and what the Father was capable of doing through him, wept. Where was Jesus at Lazarus' funeral? His action said, I will enter into your sorrow. I will enter into your sorrow. And then there's the case of letter C, the napping master. This is found in three of the gospel accounts, but the one specifically that, uh, that we're looking at this morning is Luke 8. Jesus and his disciples are on a boat and a storm is coming up. For the fishermen and the, and the crew, this was just another Tuesday, but this one was brutal. This was a storm unlike they had seen before. Where was Jesus? He's in the back of the boat taking his Wesleyan hour. He's taking a nap. And even after all the miracles experienced, his disciples thought that this is how they were going to die. This was it. That Jesus, the master, the miracle maker, was snoozing on the job and they were going to sink. But Jesus wakes up and rebukes the storm. The raging waters and the winds calm down immediately. And Jesus said, where is your faith? And they were in awe. On the stormy sea, Jesus answers, I will command your storm. Then there's letter D, the case of the defeated conquering king. John 19, 30. Though Jesus was very upfront with them about his mission and the mission of the kingdom of God and how it needed to move forward by his crucifixion, the disciples couldn't buy it. They knew who, or who they thought they knew who Messiah was supposed to be. He was supposed to be their liberator, their military leader, their commander in chief. He was supposed to free Israel from their enemy control at last. And yet here he was being crucified. Some scattered, some watched from a distance, some never left his side. But the cry that rocked the world was uttered 
in this verse when he declared it is finished. Can you imagine what the next three days for, for Jesus' disciples must have been like? They'd spent the last three and a half years sitting under Jesus' teaching, seeing miracle after miracle, wonder after wonder, giving glory to God for what they, have seen, they saw through Jesus. And now they were defeated and dejected. They were convinced that he was the son of God. How could he be dead? Well, we know what happened three days later. Jesus wasn't in the grave where he was supposed to be. They tried to kill him. It didn't stick. Because in the grave, Jesus responds to the question of where are you, Jesus, or where is Jesus, with I am fighting your enemy. And finally, letter E is the case of the resurrected Lord leaves, found in both Acts 1 and John 14. Again, remember that disappointment of the disciples upon Jesus' crucifixion, but now there's the resurrection and he's appeared to hundreds of people and they're thinking, yes, this is the turning point. Now it's go time. Now it's freedom time. Now it's time for the revolution. But Jesus tells them, that he is returning to the Father, but he's sending his Holy Spirit to be with them. So they should wait and pray. Wait a minute. Shouldn't Jesus, the resurrected Lord, shouldn't he be, in, like, be leading the charge right now? No. Because in the case of the resurrected Lord leaves and the ascension he answers, I am preparing a place. I'm preparing a future for you. And these are just a handful of the situations that we can dig into. A whole, we could dig into a whole lot more if we had more time. But the unifying factor in all of them, the verdict to the question of where is Jesus is this. In Jesus' seeming absence, he is at work and his work is never accidental. And might I add into that this, that he is at work for you and he is at work with you. I started this message by sharing Joel's story. But it was not the end of Ryan and Amy's. You see, Ryan and Amy still held firmly onto their faith in Jesus. And on the anniversary of Joel's passing, Ryan's where is Jesus question was answered. Jesus was not absent throughout Joel's battle with cancer. Jesus was in the midst of their grief. Jesus was not deaf to their prayers. He was in command of the storm raging all around them. Jesus was not distant in Joel's death. He had already won against Joel's enemy. 
Jesus had not abandoned Joel. He was preparing a cancerless, pain-free future for Joel in the embrace of his loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus was not done with Ryan and Amy either. He was working out his father's business through them. Throughout this difficult journey, Ryan and Amy, who are video game designers, created, programmed, and released an interactive gaming experience called That Dragon Cancer. That Dragon Cancer tells their family's story, their darkest moments, their struggles with faith in the midst of Joel's suffering, and ultimately, their greatest hope, strongest peace, and the beautiful redemption of this tragedy that they found in Jesus Christ, the one who would never abandon them. Their story, the story in the midst of, of Jesus in the midst of tragedy, as told in that dragon cancer, has been on the center stage in the gaming community. Winning 2016's Games for Impact Award and an Emmy Award this summer for a documentary based off of it called Thank You for Playing. They allowed God to leverage their suffering to bring Jesus to millions of people who would not have normally darkened the doors of a church building. And I don't want you to hear this just for me. The attention that Ryan was given, Ryan, the attention that the Green family were given through this gave Ryan the platform to be able to share on the international stage about who Jesus is and what he did through this experience. I'm gonna invite the worship team up and we're gonna watch a video and we're gonna come to a close here in just a minute. You can be seated. The sun still rose in spite of my strong recommendations against it. Ryan Green wrote these words on August 19th, 2014, recounting an event that took place six months prior, the morning after their four-year battle with cancer came to an end. The cancer in question was not Ryan's, nor was it his wife Amy's. It was Joel's, Ryan and Amy's four-year-old son. In a journal entry that Ryan would later share, he recounted the story of Joel's final day, being surrounded by family and friends, knit together not only by their love for Joel, but their confidence in Jesus Christ. On that day, they sang songs and hymns of worship to God as well as offered prayers and praises of thanksgiving for the journey, but also prayers for mercy and prayers of healing. And the very next morning, March 13th, 2014, at 1.52 a.m., the fight was over. Joel, after a four-year battle, lost the fight to that dragon cancer. 
In the aftermath, Ryan writes, so now we mourn and we weep, we rage and we argue with God. Who knows the end of our story? Where is Jesus? This is a, a question that, that uh, Ryan wrestled with all throughout Joel's battle and one that's not very far from our cultural consciousness here today. Where is Jesus in the middle of riots? Where is Jesus in the midst of fires, floods, and hurricanes? Where is Jesus in injustice? Where is Jesus in the senseless slaughter of humanity from Las Vegas to London to Syria? Where is Jesus? And while some might ask this question as an indictment of the character of Jesus, it is a legitimate question and one that you and I must wrestle with. And, and when I say that we, we have to answer and we have to wrestle with it, I don't mean that we, we need like some cute or trite saying or something like that that gets us by. Like we don't need more bumper sticker Christianity. We need the church of Jesus Christ, the living embodiment of the hope that we have in Jesus to be present and active in our world today to give a reason for the hope that we have. And friends, it'd be dishonest and maybe a little bit arrogant this morning for me to stand up in front of you and say, I have all of the answers. Because I don't. I don't always know what God is up to in the midst of tragedy. I don't always understand what's going to come next. But on the other side of the same token, it would also be really, really unfair to blame him for all of it too. So this morning, we're going to be taking a look at answering the question of where is Jesus? If, uh, if you've been following us in these last couple of weeks, we've been in the middle of a sermon series called God's Top Ten, uh, looking at the relational aspect of the, the Ten Commandments. We are not going there today. Um, so, uh, we are taking a little bit of a sidebar from that. So if, you, if, you missed, if you're thinking you were going to miss out on one of those messages because Pastor Mark was not with us here this morning, don't worry. He'll be back next week uh, and uh, we'll be jumping right back in, into that. But this morning, we have to deal with the question of where is Jesus. And to start this, we, we really need to start with, with, some, uh, with some foundational pieces, some, some things that we, we know to be true because we can build off of those, those pieces of truth. So, so uh, number one in your outline here is what we know to be true. I, I want us to, to lay a foundation for this conversation because uh, the, the reality is, is that while we may not be able to fully understand everything that's going on uh, and, and the, the connecting points between everything, we can at least have a leg to stand on in reasoning through some of our circumstances and the circumstances around us. These may not give us the full answer, but they do give us perspective in the midst of chaos, which is a very, very powerful thing. So first off, in the list of things that, that we know, uh, letter A, our world is broken. Our world is broken. Our world is sin sick. And we're not the only ones to suffer for it. I mean, when we look at, around at our world today, we, and, and this is nothing new. This is not something that's new under the sun here, but we have, we have people that are mistreating people. We have brokenness relationally 
But there's also a brokenness in, in, the, in the very foundation of our world too. You see, humanity's decision to break relationship with God in the garden puts the authority over creation into the hands of sin. And as a result, the natural order of creation rages in its disorder. Paul writes in in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 through 22, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation groans as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You see, creation itself longs for God's redemption. But in the meantime, we endure sickness and we endure disease and we, and we endure devastation. We endure getting old. <laughs> we don't like that. I don't like that. And <laughs> no, no, you're gonna give me grief. You're not that old. I'm in my 30s, come on guys. I'm getting old, man. But creation is, there's a brokenness in creation. There's a, there's a decay that's happening in creation because of the separation from God. And, l- and let me be really, really clear about this because, because some, some people have used like every single tragedy as a platform to say like God's wrath is being poured out on this thing because of this, this situation. Can we just like take a step back from that like and not blame everything, not blame every natural disaster, not blame every tragedy, not blame, not blame every sinful action of another human being on God. Can we, can we just like not do that? Because it really just gives God a bad rap. And let's be really honest here. If we're living in a broken world, broken things are happening as a result of it. It's, it's kind of like if you take a, a piece of fruit off of a tree and you set it next to the tree for a while. It, it's gonna look okay for a couple of days, but, but it's gonna rot. It's gonna get nasty. It's gonna stink. Why? Because it's disconnected from the life-giving source that it was once connected to. This is why sin is such a big deal. This is why in Christianity, like we're like, don't do that. Don't break relationship with God. Don't separate yourself from God because we don't wanna lose that connection with the giver of every good thing. Our world is broken, but we have hope within that brokenness because letter B, the character of Jesus is unchanging. Hebrews 13, eight tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can take hope that the, char- that the character of God is unswerving. We may veer from the left or to the right, but he is constant. He's consistent. And this is really, really foundational. This is really, really important for us because if, if, uh, if Jesus is cha- like constantly changing back and forth, then, then how can we trust him? But, but if he is, if he is consistent, if he is unchanging, then we have an incredible confidence that we can take in him. And really the next two pieces, the next two pieces of, of, of the what we know here uh, really rise and fall on, on this piece right here. So let us see. Uh, we know that God redeems tragedy. God redeems tragedy for blessing. It was a December morning when I got the phone call. My friend Derek had been traveling home for Christmas break from New Brunswick, Canada, and his car slid on a patch of black ice. 
The car left the road and a large tree branch shattered Derek's window and a third of his skull, putting him into a coma. As Derek lay in a hospital bed, his doctors broke the news to his parents that Derek would never wake up. And if he did, he would never talk. And if he could talk, he'd likely be paralyzed. He would never go back to school. He would never live out his dreams. He would never do another thing on his own again. She should get used to seeing him like this. Well, I love it when God has other plans. <laughs> I love when God knows the human body um, better than anyone else. See, my friend Derek is one of those types of people that you, if you tell him not to do the thing, what's he going to do? He's going to do the thing. God healed Derek. And while he still bears some of the scars and the limitations of the accident, we could never get him to slow down or shut up. <laughs> Today, Derek has, is married. He has a gaggle of kids. He pastors a church in New Brunswick. And he's traveled all over the U.S. and Canada sharing his story about what God did through his accident, how God redeemed that tragedy for blessing. You know, one of the things we were worried about, actually, as, as his friends, we were, Derek had this great sense of humor about him. And we were worried that, you know, the, the coma would kind of change his personality and stuff like that. What did he do? Like, the first thing he got, when he got out of the hospital and he started driving again, he got a car and the license plate of his car read, Bad Tree. <laughs> so, so anytime anybody asks, what is it, why does your license plate say Bad Tree? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you the story. So God redeems tragedy for blessing. In, in Genesis chapter 50, there's a story of a young man that's named Joseph that's sold by his brothers into slavery. And years and years of wrongful accusation, years and years of mistreatment, God redeems his story and brings him back into relationship with his brothers. And in that moment, Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what, he, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. There's beauty that can come from tragedy. What we also know as letter D is that God does not ditch his kids. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purposes. God is not a deadbeat dad. He's not distant from his creation. But he cares so much for, for it. You know, this, this is the thing that we celebrated in communion here this morning, that, that Jesus, God in the bod, stepped into his creation to walk with us, to restore relationship, to restore right relationship between us and God. So if all of this is true, it gives us a bit of a framework to answer the question, but it doesn't fully answer the question, does it? It gives us perspective, which is great, but we still need to look at the question of where is Jesus? If he doesn't ditch us in tragedy and he does redeem tragedy for blessing and he does, his character is unchanging, 
What does that mean in the midst of our broken world? What does that mean in the midst of our mess? So number two, where is Jesus? In order for us to answer this question, we're going to be flying through about five stories in the Gospels. And I promise you, I know that there's a, a Packer game, Packer and Vikings game today. Uh, I see that jersey back there. Um, I, know that there I know the game is going on today. I will not spend a lot of time in all the, the stories. All the scriptures are there for you to take a look at. Um, you know, I, I really encourage you to, to, t- to dig into these a little bit deeper here. And if you miss something, please let me know. I'd gladly get that into your hands. But we're going to take about a 15,000 uh, foot view uh, above some of these stories. I'm going to give you some of the details. And, and we're going to look at uh, each of these cases. And uh, we're going to answer the question of, of where is Jesus through each of these cases. So in, in case letter A, the, the runaway child. Uh, this is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. To set the stage for you, Mary, Joseph, and 12-year-old Jesus have gone up to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of the Passover. And since it was safer to travel in, in groups, after the celebrations were over, Mary and Joseph left with a caravan. And they, they kind of figured that Jesus was with other family. Maybe, maybe he made friends with somebody else in the caravan. But after a day of travel, they discovered that teenage Jesus was not where he was supposed to be. And they frantically searched for him, which ultimately led them back to Jerusalem. You guys who, are, who have been parents, like, have you ever like, had one of those moments where like, one of your kids has not been the place where they were supposed to be? Yeah, like, yeah, I've got a couple of you guys who, yeah, 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 yeah. So you've, they, you've, have you ever been in that place where you're, like, you're in that like, delicate balance between like, oh my word, what is happening to them and I'm gonna kill them when I find them? I remember there was, this, there was this one moment, like back in the 80s, I don't know if, if some of you guys are older remember this, but back in the 80s, there was this like made-for-TV movie that came out that was telling the story about why Code Adam is a thing. And it was this like horrific story of, of this, this, thing, this child that got snatched out of the store and, and, and my mom had just watched this movie. We're out at this department store and I think that I'm clever and decide that I'm gonna hide in a clothes rack. Now, my mom is a little bit excitable and she wouldn't mind if I shared this with you. It, you know, but I'm, I'm sitting there in the midst of this clutter rack going, ah, I'm so clever. And I'm hearing, my baby is gone and I'm gonna kill him when I find him. <laughs> I'm not sure whether I should jump out of the clothes rack or stay. Where am I gonna be safer? I don't know. But there's this moment, though, like where Mary and Joseph, they're just panicking. I mean, they are entrusted with raising up and, 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 and taking care of the Son of God. And like, can you imagine being Joseph in that moment? Like, I don't want to speculate too much, but like, is he thinking like, well, I'm going to take that boy over my knee, but like, if I do, like, I know the angels are going to protect the Messiah or something like that. You know, am I going to like, am, am I going to get more damage out of this? Is this really going to be one of those, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you situations? I don't know. But whatever the case is, in all of the swirling emotion, they found Jesus sitting among teachers. And he's listening. And he's asking questions that are beyond his years. And exasperated Mary says, why have you treated me like this? Your father and, your father and I have been anxious, searching for you. And Jesus' response at the temple was I must be about my father's house. 
And some of your footnotes in your Bible will also say, I must be about my father's business. It's a really interesting statement. But maybe that's a message for another time. There's also letter B, the case of the absent friend found in John 11. Jesus states very, or John states very clearly that Jesus had a very special relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he essentially said, ah, he'll be fine. Okay, what he really said was, this sickness will not end in death. So he waits. And after a couple of days, Jesus tells his disciples that they're gonna go catch up with the family, see how they're doing. Meanwhile, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been dead for four days. Where is Jesus? And when Mary and Martha hear that Jesus is on his way, he's like two miles out, and Martha runs up to him, and I'm sure that the question that was burning in everybody's mind was, where were you, Jesus? And Martha's response to Jesus is, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother, my brother would not have died. What's crazy is that Mary says the same exact thing when Jesus gets to the house. It's almost like they were rehearsing this. Like it was like, you know, hey, uh, you know, Martha, you run out and you meet him and then, you know, he'll think twice, you know, when he gets, he's gonna have that time to think. He's gonna feel really bad once he gets here. Now I'm going to say it again, and he'll listen. He'll come running the next time we say we need him. (laughs) Okay, so maybe it didn't quite happen like that. But if you keep reading the story, it says in John 11 that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in all of Scripture. It's the shortest verse that packs a huge punch because Jesus, at Lazarus' funeral, His actions say, I will enter into your sorrow. I will enter into your sorrow. When the people observed Jesus' emotion in that moment, their, their response was, look how he loved Lazarus. This was a close friend. Jesus entered into the sorrow. Then there's the case of letter C, the napping master. Uh, We're gonna be looking at Luke 8 for this one, but three of the gospel accounts share this story. Jesus and his disciples are on a boat and and a storm comes up. Well, for the fishermen in the crew, this would have just been like another Tuesday for them, but this was a big deal. This was a a powerful storm. This was was something that got them a, a little bit scared. And where was Jesus? In the back of the boat taking his Wesleyan hour. He was sleeping. And even after all the miracles that they experienced, his disciples thought that this is how they were going to die. They were gonna die with Jesus, the master, the miracle maker, snoozing on the job. But Jesus wakes up And he rebukes the storm. The raging waters and winds calm down immediately and his disciples go. Who is this that commands even the wind and the waves? And Jesus says, where's your faith? On the stormy sea, Jesus answered, I will command your storm. 
Then there's letter D, the defeated conquering king, found in John 19.30. And though Jesus was really, really upfront with the disciples about what his mission was and what the mission of the kingdom of God was and how it was gonna be moved forward by his crucifixion, they just couldn't buy it. You see, they had, they had this understanding that, that Messiah was supposed to be this political leader, that, that he was supposed to be their liberator, a, a military leader, a, a commander-in-chief. He was supposed to free Israel from enemy control, yet here he was being crucified. Some scattered, some watched from a distance, some never left his side. But then Jesus cried out the words which would rock the world when he uttered, it is finished. Can you imagine what the next three days must have been like for the disciples? I mean, they had followed Jesus for three and a half years. They left their homes, they left their jobs, they left everything that was familiar to them to follow after this man that they were convinced was the Son of God. How could he be dead? How could Jesus have been killed? Well, we know it happened three days later. Jesus didn't stay in the grave like he was supposed to. They tried to kill him. It didn't stick. But you see, in the grave, Jesus responded, I am fighting your enemy. And finally, letter E, there's the case of the resurrected Lord leaves found in Acts chapter one and and John 14. Again, remember the disappointment of the disciples and now flip that over. Jesus resurrected, has shown himself to hundreds of people and now the 12 have gotta be sitting around going like, yes, it's go time. Now's the time for God to restore his kingdom to Israel. Let's do this thing. And Jesus says, no, no. No, uh, I'm going to return to the Father and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to be with you. Wait a minute, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, shouldn't he be leading the charge? No. And in the ascension, he answers, I am preparing a future for you. These are a handful of the situations that we could dig into a whole lot more from the Gospels if we had more time. But the unifying factor in all of them, the verdict to the question of where is Jesus, is this. In Jesus' seeming absence, he is working at, and he's working for you. He's at work. And might I add that he's working for you and with you, and his work is never accidental. His work is never accidental accidental. I started this message by sharing Joel's story. But it was not the end of Ryan and Amy's. You see, Ryan and Amy still held firmly onto their faith in Jesus. Even though where there were moments where the wrestling was really difficult. And on the anniversary of Joel's passing, Ryan's where are you Jesus question started to find an answer. Jesus was not absent throughout Joel's battle with cancer. Jesus was in the midst of their grieving. 
Jesus was not deaf to their prayers. He was in command of the storm raging all around them. Jesus was not distant in Joel's death. He had already won against Joel's greatest enemies. Jesus had not abandoned Joel. He was preparing a cancerless, pain-free future for Joel in the embrace of his loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus was not done with Ryan and Amy. He was working out his Father's business in them and through them. See, throughout this difficult journey, Ryan and Amy, who are video game designers, created, programmed, and released an interactive experience entitled That Dragon Cancer. It tells their family's story, their darkest moments, their struggles with faith in the midst of Joel's suffering, and ultimately the greatest hope, strongest peace, and most beautiful redemption of this tragedy that they found in Jesus Christ, the one who would never abandon them. Their story, the story of Jesus in the midst of tragedy as told in That Dragon Cancer has been on the center stage of the gaming community winning the 2016 Games for Impact Awards and an Emmy was awarded this summer to a documentary entitled Thank You for Playing which followed their journey of creating the game and Joel's journey with fighting cancer. This attention gave Ryan and Amy a platform to be able to talk about Jesus. And I want you to hear a little bit of his perspective in his words. Loving Joel taught me that love is not safe, but it is good. Losing Joel taught me that trusting in God is not safe, but trust is good. And being Joel's daddy has taught me that though I could not keep him safe, my love for him and my trust in God were good. I want to share with you what it means to be an earthly father of a broken child. And Joel's brokenness did not cause me to love him less. It, it compelled me to love him more. I want to shout at you how much I love Joel, though he could do nothing for my love. And I want to share with you how his willingness to trust in me, to abide with me, to, to sit in my lap as I held him for hours on end was of the greatest joys of my life. I want to reveal the love of a father to you because the love of a father is good. Where is Jesus? He is always about his father's business. Where is Jesus? He is always in the sorrow with you. Where is Jesus? He is sovereign over every storm. Where is Jesus? He has defeated your enemies. Where is Jesus? He is providing a hope and a future. Let's pray. Things that I want to share with you guys are just kind of some announcement things as we, uh, as we leave here. 
Um, just a couple of things. And, and the inside of your program is our Connect card. If, uh, if you take that and fill it out before you leave and stick it in the offering box in the back, if you're a first-time guest with us here this morning, uh, we want to welcome you. This is the only thing that we want you to put in there this morning. Uh, but we want to be also be able to send you a letter of greeting and welcome to the church and, uh, and give you any information that you'd like uh, for that. Uh, just also another reminder that uh, you know, all our offering is going to be taken in the, the box in the back and online from now on. So uh, make sure that if you've got, uh, if you've got something to put it, that in there before you leave. Uh, and uh, just one other thing, uh, if, if you are a member of the Wesleyan Church, uh, we have our ballots in the back for the nominating committee. Uh, we need to get those in uh, this next week. We're going to be having our local church conference here soon. Uh, and so this is just kind of helps us take care of some of that business on the front end. But as we leave here, I want to read to you uh, Romans chapter 15 by way of, of benediction, verse 13. It says, May the Lord, or may the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be blessed as you guys leave here today.